you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church. The church is called to grow in knowledge and to equally grow in grace. We all need this reminder as we pilgrimage here on earth, as the Lord's follower, we are reminded of this lesson on humility to avoid a worldly spirit of competitiveness in the body of Christ. Jesus being aware of a competitive spirit among his disciples, for they had been arguing among themselves who is the greatest. And Jesus began to teach them by setting an example of servanthood mentality for them to follow. And so for us today. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things into his hand, he's having a last meal with his beloved ones, loving them to the end. Then he picked up a towel and a basin with water and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, following the cultural practice, Peter cannot fathom what is going on. He cannot fathom how the superior is stooping to the inferior. So he refused to have his feet washed by his Lord and Master. Jesus told him, what I'm about to do or what I'm doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand what Jesus told Peter flew past his head. You will never wash my feet. That's beneath you, Lord, as if he's saying. Jesus said to Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part with me. In keeping with his impulsive nature, he immediately jumped from extreme left to extreme right and responded, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head as well. We can learn a lot from Peter's example ourselves. Peter wants a complete bath, not understanding the spiritual implication Jesus is demonstrating. So in verse 10, Jesus said, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, 
but not every one of you. Peter missed the spiritual significance and thought that Jesus was referring to a physical washing, his complete body. But whatever Jesus was offering, Peter wants in. He was ready and wanted all of it. He was adventurous. He was the only one who wants to join Jesus walking on the water, only to cry out later, Lord, save me. He's the one who will draw his sword to take off the high priest's servant ears, Malchus, to protect his Lord and Master. Very impulsive and adventurous. Peter often spoke impulsively out of his ignorance and had to be corrected often. And when Jesus noticed that and sees that he's getting out of order, the Lord patiently will refer back to his old name, Simon, Simon. Jesus went as far as to tell him something. He said, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that you might sift, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. As believers in the Lord, how we need encouragement like that to strengthen each other as we go on from day to day. We all need it. Especially as we see the day approaching. Jesus making the spiritual application. He who has a bath needs only to wash his feet because they are completely clean. The first observation we notice here is the cleansing of the redeemed when salvation occurred. We have to take note of that. Salvation never need to be repeated. Salvation ransom has paid in full. It's complete. In Hebrews 10, 17, the Bible says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Christ's atoning death church provides complete forgiveness for the believer's sin. The Bible teaches that God has believers saved, have their salvation by imputing Christ's righteousness on them. So the spiritual principle here, Jesus is conveying to Peter and to us as well, you do not have to be saved all over again when you have been declared righteous in God's sight. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A full bath took place when the individual put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. They are completely washed, giving the believer the confidence of eternal security. For there is no condemnation, the Bible says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
A person's eternity depends on who they believe Jesus is, and their decision will determine their eternal destiny. Very serious stuff. Have to, be, have, have, to have a good bath by Jesus' blood. The power in the blood. So from Scripture we can conclude that once a sinner is saved with Christ's imputed righteousness, they are eternally secured. That settles that. For he who has the Son has life. But those who doesn't have the Son does not have life. It's very clear from the Scripture. So a person's eternity depends on who they believe and act upon it, who is Jesus. There is no repeat when it comes to salvation. There are many people who are insecure because of the lifestyle they live. So they have a right to be insecure. But there is no repeat when it comes to salvation. However, there is a requirement of daily repentance in setting apart to walk in that pure, holy state, to stay clean. Every believer needs to clean up often because we all fall short. There is one bath, but many foot washing. When it comes to the believer's spiritual life, that is required. That's our Christian art to roll in life. The spiritual application of washing the feet is that the Christian life requires ongoing repentance. Verse 10, as we look at, the one who has a bath does not need to wash except for his feet. Washing is a common biblical metaphor for spiritual cleansing. Psalm 51.2 reads, David is asking God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is a believer. Ezekiel 26.25 God said to the house of Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. Now the illustration of the physical washing of the feet comes from eastern lands. That was the practice. The use of open sandals or walking bare feet made it necessary to wash one's feet as they entered the homes. And the disciples were well acquainted with that practice as Jesus is illustrating this example to them. It was a common courtesy for the host to arrange and show affection for their guest by providing water and a servant to wash their dusty feet. Though some may not do that, Jesus said to Simon, You did not give me water to wash my feet, but this woman washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Walking on dusty roads with open sandals gets the feet dirty. Some of us who grew up in a village like that know what that's like. 
And people still do it today. It was a common courtesy for the host to do that. Now, in a similar way, believers need daily cleansing from the defilement of their sin. It's called sanctification, a theological term, word, that continues to set the believer apart as we, get, as we go on with ongoing cleansing. The saints in Christ do often get dirty in a fallen world. As the believer walks in this world, it's easy to get defiled, to be contaminated. When we get defiled, we cannot have proper communion with the Lord. It's required. It's needed. Those residual, residual sins of the old nature in us, those daily sins we get caught, caught off guard with, in those moments of thoughts, of words, of deeds, of action, it happens. Even those subtle sins need to be dealt with on a daily basis if we are going to have a proper fellowship with the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is those little foxes that ruin the vineyard. Got to pay attention to them. Those subtle sins that nobody knows about but only you and God. Yes, those little foxes ruin the vineyard with our relationship and our fellowship with God. Scripture is very clear on that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. When the saints permit unconfessed sins in our lives, our walk with the Lord is hindered. They fractured our fellowship and strained our relationship with our holy Heavenly Father. Thank God that He made provision for a clean-up job ever so often by confessing. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Scripture is very clear how the believer ought to walk, how they need to do constant wash-up. They need some cleansing. We've got to clean up if we're going to have a fellowship with the Lord. God's grace is never to be taken for granted and not to be abused. If not, he will discipline his children, as Hebrews 12 describes, giving warning to the believers. He's our daddy. Daddy will discipline us because we carry his name with us wherever we go as we pilgrimage here on earth. The concept of having a bath and a continuous washing is rooted in Scripture for Christian living, which can be traced back to the Old Testament priesthood. When the priest was consecrated, he had a bath. And that experience was never repeated again because he was already consecrated. However, during his daily ministry, he became defiled. As Hebrews 5.2 puts it, 
since he himself is subject to weakness. So in his priesthood, it was necessary that in his ablution, you know, where, he, where they washed their hands and their feet at the brass laver in the courtyard, as Exodus 30 describes, only then he could enter the holy place daily and trim their lamps, eat the holy bread, or burn the incense. So here we see this ongoing cleansing necessary as one serves the Lord. It's all there. So it has a background in the Old Testament as well. Now some churches take that position in their service of having a mandate. But to each church their own as the leader leads. It is not an any of the ordinances. But in this scene, what we see here, Jesus washed his betrayer's feet in humility to the end, even to the very next day on the cross in his most agonizing encounter. When you could have called down curses on those who were crucifying him, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So it is a pattern of how Jesus show himself with loving people to the end. It is love through humility. Jesus could have said, I care less about Judas. The Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let Judas do what he wants to do. But no, he showered his love to the end on his betrayer who Satan had a hold on. You see, church, God is aware of everything in our lives and all our whereabouts. He knows everything. And sometimes He gives us some time to realize that before He acts upon them. So in verse 11... He says, for not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Judas did not experience a full bath. Judas did not experience a bath. Judas was not saved. He was only doing church. And therefore, did not give any thought of deterring because Satan had a hold on him. Judas' decision did not surprise Jesus. For he said in John 6, 70, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He's well aware of everything and our whereabouts. Yes, it was all of God's predetermined divine plan for Judas' decision. However, that does not excuse Judas from personal responsibility for his wicked act. He has to take the blame for that. It's his choice. Matthew 26, 24 reads, The Son of Man goes at his written 
of him. But woe to that man for by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Oh my, my. Wow. Verse 12 reads, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed to his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand what I have done to you? Jesus is asking his disciples, Do you understand what I have done to you? It's not about feet, water, and towel. It's not about that, Jesus is telling them. And it's not about that when we look at the scripture ourselves. In verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also wash, ought to wash one another's feet. Here is it in home now. He's going right down to the heart. He's piercing through there. He's going there. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's setting an example for his followers how to operate within the family of God in humble service to one another. As Pastor Ronald reminded us last week with some practical things, no task is beneath you. Love the undeserved, abandon false humility. All coming together in this passage. The implication, the implication of washing one another's feet has a far greater depth as they will have to love one another and serve one another just as a Lord and Master as they will be commissioned to go into the world with the gospel. It is required. It's a lifestyle. On this occasion, there were no servant and no one volunteered to wash the feet. Here we have the creator of the universe left his glory and humbled himself doing a menial task normally done by a servant. Jesus raised the bar so high for us his followers. Knowing that the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray him, and in the next day, he wouldn't be with them any longer, he emphasized the point of loving even our enemies. That's lost call to his disciples. He wouldn't spend no more teaching time with them, that's it. He's finished. He's going home. His action was deliberate. He rose during supper. He did not wash their feet at the point of arrival as the host would normally provide or do. Notice that. He didn't do it at the beginning. It is not easy to have harmony with some people. But the scripture exhorts believers, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It was a lesson of humility 
setting forth the principle of selfless service that soon will be exemplified in public ministry by his followers. And he's laying the ground rule. He's laying the foundation as they go out. And we ought to learn the same from this. This scripture is not only for those disciples, it's for us disciples as well, his followers. So we don't get a pass. This is very important for the unity and the harmony of the body of Christ. Here we have the Creator washing the feet of the creatures. He who made the heavens and the earth stooped down with a towel around his waist and a basin of water in humility shown his followers an example to follow. Do you understand what I have done to you? He asked his disciples. The Apostle Paul reminded Christ's followers of Jesus' humility, and it reads like this, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No ordinary death like what we are accustomed to, but death on a cross. God did that. He stooped so low when he didn't do anything wrong. Paying that price, that sin penalty price for you and me. So what's telling us from, these, from this example that Jesus is demonstrating that the redeemed serve without pride. The redeemed serve without pride or we should serve without pride. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. With love, Jesus raised the bar in a new way of life that defeats the old way of thinking. That's not how the world thinks. Jesus teaches things that are upside down to this world. But upside down things, according to the scripture, is God's way. That's how God wants us to move in life. Verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus did not mean literally wash one another's feet. I'll say it again. Jesus did not mean literally to wash one another's feet. It is not a church mandate. He uses the illustration from the culture of the day with a far greater goal as he sees the extension of his ministry on earth after he's gone. These men 
And for us today is to move into the world serving God, serving each other, and serving all people to whom the message of salvation would reach to all ends of the earth. In verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is teaching his followers to serve without pride. He's teaching us to serve without pride. Nothing is beneath you and I within our availabilities and our capabilities. Nothing. It has to do with our heart attitude. And if we're going to follow and obey Jesus. Nothing is beneath you and I within our availabilities and our capabilities. If pride or personal animosity prevent us from stooping to serve our brethren, we should remember that we are not greater than our master, for he stooped. He humbled himself to even wash the person who was unworthy in betraying him. Would you and I minister in a lowly way to the person if you knew for sure that that person is betraying you? It's a challenge. If he's out to get you, it's a challenge. Our heart action will be between us and Jesus. That is between you and God, me and God. Our heart action will have to be tuned with him. The Lord gave a lesson on humility, not foot washing. It was an inner attitude, not an outward right. The latter is meaningless without the former. No task is below or beneath the follow of Christ if his master has performed it. We can't get away. We can say no or yes or wrestle with it. With the Lord and us. The redeemed practice humility. In verse 17, it reads, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The redeemed practice humility. It is not enough just to know the truth, but to practice the truth. That's how scripture works. Very different from the world we see out there. If we know the truth, we should practice the truth. And in verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. That fulfills the prophecy in Psalm 41.9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. David said that when he was lamenting of his betrayal of a trusted companion within his own people. And at the same time, it was a prophecy regarding Jesus Christ. 
David experienced that. And God has a way when his prophet goes through these things, here's a prophecy coming through for something that's coming later, where he foreshadows. So David pronounced that prophecy. Jesus is teaching, in his teaching said in Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. You see, Jesus was not caught off guard having a traitor in his midst. He wasn't caught off guard. He chose him. For the, for the Son of Man goes that it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. God used the wicked heart of Judas to bring about the good redemption. Observing Judas' life, how close can a person come to salvation and yet lose it forever? How close? Judas persisted in his rejection even when Jesus washed his feet. Yet his heart did not yield. He had three years close to Jesus, seeing everything, all the miracles, the love that Jesus showed, everything he saw, yet he did not yield. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and will be healed. Judas lived in that arena. Though Jesus, Judas walked with Jesus, he was in that arena. Blind to everything still. And when someone is blind to things, judicial blindness takes over after a period of time. They are unable to do it. As we mentioned the past week, If you're unable to do it, if you're, if you're not willing to do it, you'll be unable one day. Because judicial blindness will take over after a period of time. And that is what Judas experienced. You might be here and you're watching online. You've heard about Jesus. But you keep pushing him off. I'm here to encourage you Move in the direction where Jesus is calling. It will determine your destiny beyond the grave. The fifth observation is that the redeemed will not be swayed. In verse 19, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Jesus wanted to make sure that Judas' betrayal will not shake the other 11 disciples' faith in him. He's making sure that. Remember, this is the last time he's going to be with them now. And he's going to love them to the end. And he's giving them all this information and tell them how to look at things, how to perceive things, and how to operate. 
when these things start to happen. I'm telling you this before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. He wanted to make sure that Judas' betrayal would not shake the other's disciple faith in him by telling them what is coming in the future. In other words, he front loads them with information of what to expect. He assured them that they can look back and come to the understanding that Jesus knew everything, how everything will unfold. He was well aware of it. He's in control of the situation. He was the, he was the complete master of the situation. And he's letting the disciples know, hey, I'm well aware of what's happening, but look out, here and here this is going to happen. And don't be fooled with it, because sometimes when we go through a situation, you can doubt, and then you start to fall aside. And when you start to fall aside by yourself, that's where Satan wants you. He wants to catch you alone. He's good at that. What they have experienced with Judas' treachery will not weaken their faith and will not hinder the Great Commission as he sends them out as his representative into the world as they will face persecution and problems. They will face it. And even in their persecution, when they're scattered, they will not stumble or doubt. So he added these words of encouragement for his followers that they will recognize his omniscient for knowledge and believe in his deity. I am he, the divine name, the I am, going back to the one who sent him, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands, send his followers with a great commission. He empowered them. They were Christ's chosen representative, closely identified with him, and to receive them in the ministry, that was the same as receiving him. As people receive them, they'll receive Jesus. As people welcome them with the ministry, they will welcome Jesus. The Apostle Paul reiterated this teaching in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. There it is. And then he ends up with verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. They will be comforted by their close link with God the Son and God the Father in their mission into the world. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's how you wrap things up with them before we ascended into heaven. So here are some of the Christian living reminders in regards towards our faith, our fellowship, and service in Jesus' kingdom. There are three things I leave with you. The believer's salvation is secured. Eternally, eternal security. The believer confess daily sins. That's like the ongoing foot washing daily. It's called sanctification. Set you apart. And the believer serves in humility, no pride. 
God loves us to the end as you love those disciples. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we do thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you, Father, for reminding us from the scripture that we are eternally secured. We have this hope, this secure hope that will be within your kingdom. We thank you, Father, for reminding us that we need daily cleansing as the foot washing symbolizes to have a communion with you. We need to do cleanup every day. And Father, we, we thank you for the reminder that as we serve you, we serve you with humility and not pride. For nothing is below us because nothing was below our master. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.